You are listening to the Fancy Free Podcast, where my guests and I tell our most embarrassing, funny stories so that we all feel less alone in our imperfections and forge connection through vulnerability and humor. I'm Joanne Jarrett, and I'm your host. And you guys, I'm so excited today. I have with me Brendan Davis, who is my first male guest. Brendan began his entertainment career in 1990. He has been a producer on films premiering, competing, or winning at Sundance, Toronto, Berlin, and other top festivals. In 2013, he produced the first U.S. season of a long-running Chinese TV hit. Brendan, you're going to have to help me pronounce that. <laughs> yep. Okay, that one. Featuring Stan Lee, Justin Lin, M. Night Shyamalan, and Sean Astin. In 2019, he completed feature documentary Crazy Hot, now available worldwide on demand. He's currently directing a documentary about leading global think tank Horasis, as well as producing My Favorite Season for director Larry Sullivan, The Bishop's Man, adapted from the award-winning novel and to be directed in New Zealand by acclaimed filmmaker Babak Payami and Blood Relatives with filmmaker Noah Segan. Yes. He is partner COO of International Troublemakers Incorporated with Sullivan and the founder CEO of Skinny Wizard Studios. He's been co-located between Beijing and Los Angeles since 2013. In 2019, he was recognized as a distinguished foreign expert by the Beijing government and appointed to serve a five-year term as an advisor to the Chinese film and TV industry. Woo! Brendan, mm. thank you so much for being <laughs> with me. <laughs> Joanne, it is my Absolute pleasure. I appreciate that intro that actually makes me sound a lot fancier than I am, but we're going to debunk all that here today on your show. That's right. The contrast is what we're going for. Yeah, it's going to be really clear. Everybody <laughs> will feel better about themselves at the end of the show. Fill in the blanks. What did I miss about who you are and what you do? I was born and raised in the American South and came up with music as my first career. I was a songwriter, lead guitar player, and kind of a hard rock pop band. And we had some success and were sort of on the radar of the industry for a minute, but we never signed a big deal. We never broke through. We, you know, we did some TV and, and people kind of knew us in the business and knew us around the Southeast. While I did that, I worked my way through getting a film degree from Georgia State University. Howdy to anybody from Georgia State. And I ended up working in the technical side of film for many years as a production sound mixer or boom operator, the people on the set who were recording and miking, you know, the talent and getting the best dialogue and effects and natural sounds for editing for the movie or the TV show. But I was a writer director in school and that's always been my focus. And I really enjoyed all the technical work. And I also have a long overlapping careers in pro audio for music. I, I was a live music mixer. I mixed something like over 2000 club shows and theater shows and some bigger outdoor shows and, and a few bigger indoor big venue shows. And I moved to LA in 2002 to force myself to focus on my creative career again and make that big change. And so I cut loose my, not exactly gold handcuffs, but sort of my silver plated handcuffs. And it took about three or four years to really start to being a writer, director, and or producer more full time. And that's been the case now, you know, about 15 years or so. I still edit, not for hire, but I edit some of my own projects. Uh, along the way, parallel to this, I've had a lifelong interest in world cultures, history, hidden history, the currents behind the things that we see happening in the world. Between knowing how we make the donuts in like film and TV and adjacent to that media 
And from traveling a lot, I've been fortunate to work in Canada, throughout Western Europe, throughout North Africa, and of course, throughout Asia as a sound man, as an editor, as a documentary filmmaker, or as a narrative filmmaker making fictional projects. And about, we're going to say 10, 11 years ago, out here in LA, I started to meet filmmakers from China. And the China Hollywood thing, I'm doing my air quotes. I don't know if you can see those with your ears, <laughs> but my love of history and culture and the fact that I got to know so many people from several places, but especially China, had this business opportunity. And so I kind of dove in. You know, I'm living in LA again now. My home has been in Beijing full time the last four years, but I had to get out of China ahead of them shutting the airports, actively producing several projects that you were kind enough to name check. And I'm also working on a music project and uh, glad to talk to you today. Awesome. So do you still have your household set up in China or did you completely shut that down and relocate home and ship all your stuff? When I left to make sure that I didn't get stuck because we, you know, at the time we didn't know how long this was yeah. going to last and people thought it would be contained to China. And so Larry and a bunch of people were saying you should really kind of, you know, look at flights and get out of there. And so I made that call and I'm fortunate to have my, my great girlfriend, Susie. Hi, Susie. She's back in Beijing. <laughs> has her own place. So I didn't displace her okay. or dehouse her. She, you know, had a set of keys and everything and, you know, cut to five months of paying double rent and full bills mm -hmm. in two of the more expensive cities I've lived, you know, Beijing and Los Angeles. She had to supervise a remote packup move out. And so most of my stuff is in storage, but my landlord was great. So my lady and my things are back in Beijing. Well, listeners, you might be wondering how a stay-at-home mom in rural Montana <laughs> on her 17th year of maternity leave from family medicine nice. and an nice. international film editor and producer hooked up. And this is how. We met each other on a Facebook group for podcasters. So there was a question on one of the groups that we're both members of. If you could have anybody on your show, who would it be your highest shooting guest? And I said... Jennifer Garner, because that's my answer. Oh, right, that's always right, my answer. Right, right, right. She works very hard and she takes her work very seriously, but mm -hmm, she doesn't take mm -hmm. herself too seriously. And Not she at all. is super adorable. And she'll show herself in her flannel jammies, you know, cooking in her kitchen. That is sort of the feel I love. And she, I think, naturally shows people that no one's as fancy as they look. Mm -hmm, true. And so I'd love to interview her. Anyway, so Brendan just happened to comment on my answer. Hey, she's awesome. I worked with her a long, long time ago on Alias. Intermittently over a few years, yeah. And I said, oh, that's so great because we watched it when I went into labor with my first daughter, who's now 17. And mm -hmm. now we are watching it with her because wow. of the wonders of modern technology. It's yeah. so much fun. And that is how Brendan and I met each other. Okay, let's go right into your rapid fire questions. Sure. What was your very first job? Working at Sears Roebuck. I, I worked in the lawn and garden department. Nice. I learned and sold all manner of things you need to make your lawn and garden lovely. That's awesome. So that was a good place to work. Yeah. What TV show are you hooked on or what's been your favorite binge watch? Well, lately, Designated Survivor, the show with Kiefer Sutherland as the president who yes. you know, is the accidental president. I'm just catching up on it now. I'm almost okay. done with season two. But yeah, I, I've been really loving that show. But prior to that, I mean, The Queen's Gambit, I mean, that show just is the best thing I have seen in several years. It just it blows my mind. Top to bottom, sideways, front, back, and forwards. It's just top of the tree. All right. I will link to both of those in the show notes. 
What is something unexpected that has changed about you in the past few years, other than your location? I had told myself years ago, after the, the band I mentioned, you know, after we ran our course and it was time to, to be done, I told my friend when I turned 50, I'm going to do three things. I'm going to grow my hair again, get back into music. And if I'm not already, I will be in the best shape of my life. At, at January 5 of 2021, it was my 53rd birthday. And I went back to a version of a bodybuilder sort of diet, which is really a ketogenic diet with intermittent fasting. And I ended up losing 160 pounds. Wow. Amazing. It's pretty wild. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm at the weight that is a maintenance happy weight. Okay. What is your superpower? impressing and then confusing Chinese speakers after about 60 seconds. I hired a private tutor at a certain point in China I worked with for about a year. And I used to have, I would say about 15, 20 minutes worth of conversation, plus also knowing like the common responses. You know, a typical, I would get in the equivalent of an Uber over there and chit chat with the driver about just, you know, the weather, how you doing, how's your day? You know, I find out where they're from. Oh, I love this kind of food you have. And I would know a lot of these weird little arcane things and know how to say it pretty well. And then they would say something. They might have just been asking me, is the air conditioner too cold? And I would have no idea what they said. You know? <laughs> Hard stop on the communication flow. <laughs> I have all these super, like a Lao Beijing Ren, which means like old Beijinger. I have like all these Lao Beijing Ren sayings and phrases in my head where people who speak Chinese or talk to me, some something like that will fly out of my mouth and they'll think, wow, how long were you in China? I'm like, yeah, you know, four years full time, three back and forth. I'm like, wow, your Chinese is so good. I'm like, oh, no, no. Oh, no. What did you want to the Buha? Which means my Chinese is bad. <laughs> Just wait five minutes. You'll find out. <laughs> but I said it properly. And that's a very, that's a, that's a very Beijing way to say it. I would say in essentially fluent Chinese, my Chinese is terrible. And they would look at me like, but, no, but you just, so yeah, it's kind of fun. <laughs> I love it. This episode is brought to you by the Family Personalities Podcast. Family Personalities is a podcast about families, relationships, parenting, and personality type. Sandra is a family type practitioner certified in Myers-Briggs personality type for both adults and children. She uses her training and experience in working with families to bring listeners a relevant and helpful personality type related topic each week. M, her co-host, is a mom, lawyer, accidental politician, and personality type enthusiast. Keeping it fun and sometimes a bit nerdy, they explore how Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, and other personality type models can help change the way you see your family. And you guys, Sandra does family consultations over Zoom and helps families identify all of the personality types that they are dealing with and sort of outlines potential interaction struggles due to those personality types and kind of highlights some areas where families can really work to improve communication and understanding. When I first learned about personality types as a teenager, I suddenly understood that some of the behaviors and attributes that my sister was displaying, they weren't, she wasn't doing it just to annoy me. These were parts of her nature that she came by honestly, and that were just different from me, no better, no worse, just different. And it really kind of gave me an understanding for sort of forgiving her for those and forgiving myself for the things that I saw as weaknesses in myself. 
I think it was a real turning point in our relationship. And those are the kinds of things that Sandra and M are talking about and teaching. I will tell you, if my husband was willing, we would be signing up with Sandra so fast your head would spin. I eat this stuff up. Join me in listening to the Family Personalities podcast. You can hear it anywhere podcasts are found. And Sandra and M are such a fun pair. You feel like you've had time with girlfriends after you listen, but you also feel like your knowledge level has notched up one, which is just a win-win. So check out Family Personalities Podcast, and I will link to it in the show notes. As you know, the point of this podcast is to share our not-so-fancy moments so that the listeners feel less alone in their imperfections, and we drive home the fact that no one is as fancy as they look. So what do you have for us today? Well, this could be an ongoing 20-part series with me and you, but we decided (laughs) to pick one today. And that story, Joanne, is the story of a visa run gone horribly wrong in Mongolia. (laughs) Maybe we'll see a movie of this story in 10 years. You never know. (laughs) Well, it's a movie if I change the ending, because fortunately the ending is it all worked out and here I am safe talking to you, you know, in L.A., But this requires a little bit of setup. So unless you have a residence visa, unless you're a full-time resident or are on a work permit, and I was never working per se, I was always technically, you know, on the business side and making deals, but I was not there, you know, earning salary in that world. So there are restrictions about how long you can stay without a visa exit. Like you have to stamp out of the country. In my case, I drew getting a 60-day exit. So I could be there on a given entry stamp for 60 days and then would have to leave. There were times where, and and this does sound fancy, I would have the world's most expensive lunch of having to fly to Hong Kong, have lunch in the airport and turn around. (laughs) So you're constantly figuring out how to bounce over the border and back over. Exactly. Every 60 days, you have to do this this visa run dance. One of the options that a long-term expat friend of mine hipped me to you know, sometimes it's a long time between the deal happening and you're stretching resources and frankly being broke. And so the economical way to do the visa run was going up to inner Mongolia, which is still China. That's the northern part of China that shares the border with Mongolia. Then Mongolia, of course, is its own country. Cross-border relations are great with them and their allies. And they have tons of workers who are from one country, but they work in the, on the border town on the opposite side. And so that's a real common And so the economical way to do the visa run when needed was to go to Inner Mongolia. And then you would get with essentially in the drug trafficking trade, people like a mule or a coyote who takes people across the border, uh, sort of the equivalent of that only above board and legit. And so my friend said, look, for the equivalent of about $100, you can get a round trip plane ticket direct. There's only one flight a day up and one flight a day back to and from this airport. And there are 12 ways to pronounce this place. I'll just call it Ehrenhaut. And it's a fourth or fifth tier Chinese city, essentially very economically challenged. They tend to be more remote. They don't have major industries. All the roads aren't always paved or in the best repair. And the people often are really lovely, but it's often a harder life. You know, it's a tougher place to be from and it's a tougher place to live. It's a type of living and travel that, frankly, us uh, fortunately spoiled Westerners just don't really have much of a sense of. You fly up and it's a late night flight. It's a red eye. 
you get in up there and there's like a, here's my taxi driver. Here's my buddy. Here's his WeChat contact. He doesn't speak English, but you can translate both back and forth in in the app. So he set me up with his guy and he set me up. So this guy will take you from the airport to like a little hotel. He should be the equivalent of about 20 bucks for the night. And then the next morning, here's my friend who's going to be your Sherpa, take you back and forth across the border. I had like a million questions. I was just going to say, I'd be like, wait, I have questions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What kind of gear do I need? (laughs) Peter is an old hand at this. He's a screenwriter friend, Peter Walters. So uh, hi, Peter, if you listen to this. Uh, I said, what if your lady who's the Sherpa back and forth, what if she doesn't show or he's like, don't worry, she's reliable. And that was all true. I believe this was trip number 10 that this happened. But basically, I learned to trust. I knew the place. and I liked the place. It was a nice humility check, frankly, an ego check about a otherwise sort of fancy life and existence. You know, going up there helped keep me connected to reality and helped me develop a big sense of empathy for folks. So here is the lay of the land at the border towns, at the border areas, they would have all these kind of parking lots and sort of like a park and ride in those lots would be all these like Mad Max Roadrunner type of off-road vehicles that are just beat to hell. They look like they were in a fight with a dragon or something. I mean, they've been on fire. Some of them, some of them are really nice. Some people have a fancy vehicle, but usually their utility because the people on both sides get 30 day visas. There are a ton of people on this quite literally dusty border town where they sleep in their own bed and have dinner with their family in Mongolia, but they get up and they go work in China or vice versa. So there were tons of people waiting to pick up random people like me who show up to do a run. But most of the people were were actually locals. They were Mongolian or Chinese people who just need to go home or they need to go shop. There are some things about the Mongolian culture, very strong, very proud, because it's very much a desert environment. The people who grow up in or around the border, they don't really have the same kind of fresh fruits and vegetables. They eat a lot of meat. They have a lot of milk. And so they tend to grow up big, strong. And frankly, you have to be kind of tough to live there because it, it has extremes of brutal, brutal, harsh winter and melt your eyeballs summers. <laughs> their arts and entertainment and their equestrian culture is very big. There tends to be a lot of drinking. And also in Chinese, there's a phrase called runao. So runao means big, loud, boisterous fun. And I don't know the Mongolian word because I don't actually don't really know any Mongolian other than, you know, please help me. I think I learned that a few times. <laughs> the route would be you would go through, you know, immigration on the China side to stamp out. And then there's the frontier zone where it's kind of neutral territory. You get on the Mongolian side and you pay the equivalent of like $2 for the visa on that side. And then you're in the country. And so the Sherpa lady would pick me up at the hotel. We'd go do the thing get across through the China side, get into Mongolia, no problem, no problem. And then she would have other business to do. We wouldn't just like loop back around. She would be picking up local milk from this place to take back to the China side for that vendor who bought it. You know, so she would be doing all these runs. And a few times she had to kind of leave me at a place that I got to know, which was this little restaurant, a great Mongolian restaurant, the lunch counter place. But I knew the place. I knew where the restroom was. They had Wi-Fi I could get on. So I, I was okay. There was one time I knew she was having some issues with her family. What she was trying to tell me that she didn't make clear up front was, 
I'm going to drop you at the place and I've got to go deal with my ex-husband and I might be a while. But she didn't say all that. That's what I figured out later. <laughs> but her English was not very good. And my Chinese is not good enough to like pick up the nuances of what she was trying to tell me. After I had been dropped off at this restaurant for, I'm going to say, six hours. I had no Mongolian money of note. You know, you pay through like, like WeChat. You pay through your app on your phone in Chinese currency. But that don't work in Mongolia. I mean, the apps work. If you were <laughs> sitting there with a Chinese person, you could scan their QR. You could give somebody individually money. Also, Google Translate. It's blocked in China. You have to use a VPN to access any Google services. So my translator app required a VPN and the VPNs required a better connection or something than I could ever get in Mongolia in this restaurant. A long time goes by and I can't get her on the phone. She's not responding to texts when it's been way longer than feels comfortable. Meanwhile, I hadn't actually eaten because we were going to stop and get lunch after. <laughs> and so she's not responding, not responding. At a certain point, somebody comes in and it's a guy who... I can only say he looks scary and I'm not easily scared, but he legit was kind of scary. Like I didn't trust this guy. He just looked like he was ready to, I don't know, carve me up and fillet me for dinner or something. He didn't seem drunk or anything. He said, are you friends with Gana is her name? And he's like, come with me, come with me. I had no idea, no context. I'm trying to text her going, hi, who is this? So I, I wouldn't guy? go with him. <laughs> What's the safe word? I, exactly, exactly. <laughs> The safe word is flounder. A little Animal House <laughs> reference for y'all. So I, I couldn't make sense of it. I couldn't raise her. And I ultimately just, I wouldn't go with the guy. And he was so confused. He got really mad. And that's when he got even scarier. But I thought, this is not good. And so she's still no sign of her like an hour later. So I go out in the parking lot at a certain point. And I thought I would see if I could see her car at least. Maybe she's in another store. You know, I'll kind of hang out by her car. This restaurant was in some parking lot, which was the standard meetup place for all the buyers and sellers and Sherpa types. This was all in the middle of the day. My same friend Peter said, you know, these guys are big and loud and some of them are kind of scary, but they're mostly sweet and harmless. You, know, you got to watch out for the occasional guy who's had too much to drink, though. And this parking lot, it's sort of like the cantina bar in Star Wars, quite literally, uh -huh. <laughs> with all the like people from all over the place and very loud, colorful, and boisterous. And it's a tough existence, and a lot of the guys just drink kind of all day. And so there were quite a few times where I had guys kind of trying to front on me or step up to me or be challenging, because I was a big guy at the time, you Boy. know? And my Sherpa lady was very pretty. Everybody knows everybody's business because it's a small place. They all know who she was. She was kind of like this cool rock star locally. She spoke some English and oh, she was the driver for all these weird Americans. So it was like having a spotlight on me the whole time I was there. No anonymity. And plus, I mean, I couldn't look less local if I tried. No sign of her. But wow, I got a circle of these guys around me taunting me like they wanted oh, no. a fight. They, there were some drunk guys. Like oh. if I was casting a scene for a film, it's like, okay, this is where the local Mongolian tough guys kick some foreigner's ass. This is, this is that scene. These would all been my first picks. This would have been the Brad Pitt and Leo DiCaprio choices of tough Mongolian badass dude. I don't want to get on the wrong side of. I've been in some hairy situations. I, you know, I've traveled in Algeria and Libya for God's sakes for documentaries. I mean, I'm used to some scary stuff. 
but this was something fresh. So I go back in the restaurant and about there about another hour or so, this same guy comes back and he's seems very friendly, but like it just seems like he's playing a part to me. This is the only way I can describe it. It seems hmm. like he's trying to be extra nice and unthreatening. And he spoke some very simple English that basically was saying, like, you know, Ghana says, you know, trust me, you trust me, friend. It's like, but she's not responding to me. I haven't heard from her in this time like five or six hours. He pulled his phone up and he showed me a video of her speaking and I couldn't tell what she was saying. I got enough to go, okay, I guess I'm going with this guy. She didn't have her hands tied behind her back. She wasn't speaking around again. She wasn't shaking her <laughs> eyes no as she was talking, you know. So I go out and I get in the guy's car. Once you get out of the main town, the roads are not paved. It's desert. It's sand everywhere. All the buildings have that sun-bleached, blown-out, dilapidated kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. And inside, some of the restaurants were gorgeous. The outdoor conditions were just so harsh that there was like no keeping up with it. They're not going to make an effort and have the fancy exterior. And so I learned to appreciate the practicality of that. And I want to say that for the sake of not sounding like an ugly American who didn't appreciate the reality. And it made sense. We get out of the kind of downtown area, which is tiny. And he takes me over hill and dale around the edge of a sand dune kind of thing and drives into this area where there are a bunch of cars, you know, with the Mad Max kind of vibe. There's no sign of her, but I see all these people like pulled over to smoke and laugh and talk And a few of the folks are drinking and some people who are clearly wasted and then some regular people who are just going about their day and are are not. But I get there and his demeanor has changed from being friendly. He seems very different. He seems more like the guy who scared me the first time. This guy's a shapeshifter. Very very accurate. So he kind of pulls up behind some vehicles and he looks at me and he says something that turns out, I guess it's Mongolian for get out. A few of the people... The look on their face was frankly not welcoming, you know? It was the thing where it's like, oh, there's some people here who don't like foreigners. You know, they have their own reasons to distrust anybody else, not the least of which, as I sort of later found out, was that, oh, this this lady is considered like a prized single lady, and they were misunderstanding and thinking, well, who is this, you know, American she seems so friendly with? And so I'm going through this circle of people. There were several of the big tough guys who basically went out of their way to lean into me a little bit as I was trying to Ugh. walk past them. So I would intentionally bump them. And one guy f- freaked out and like he made a big show, got in my face. And I'm frankly kind of terrified at this point. No sign of her. I'm thinking this is not good. What in the hell is die. going on? Yeah, I thought to myself, quite seriously, I thought I might be in a bad scene here. And I'm getting more and more frankly concerned and really trying not to show it, trying to be cool and a little smile on my face and saying in Chinese, I'm so sorry, I don't speak Mongolian. I don't understand. And I said, have you seen my friend Ghana? Have you seen my friend? And people are like laughing at me. It was one of the most soul stripping moments imaginable because look, I got no money. I got no cell service. I looked relatively fancy and compared to them, I was rich, although certainly not rich. And so there were those threatened male ego vibes. The emasculated, unevolved male energy directed at me projected wow. in an aggressive way. There is a default resting temperature of tough, scary, loud, and possibly 
drunk on like this vodka uh-huh. milk drink that they love. A salted curdy milk drink about half grain alcohol. So the guy, he reeked of that stuff. I mean, mm. I've got that smell in my nose right this second as I tell you. He started basically like poking me in my chest mm. with like a couple of fingers. I was legit uh, scared at this point. I was like, you know, somebody tell my mom I love her. I mean, I was going through this in my head. That's so scary. Oh my god! I mean, I've had guns and knives pulled on me in foreign countries, and I I was more scared in this moment because this looked like the set. I don't know if you know the director who makes the really graphic, extreme horror films like Hostel, uh, Eli Roth. This looked like the set of an Eli Roth film. This looked like Hostel 12 or something that I was walking on in the set of. Gosh. So I'm at my peak of inner anxiety, trying to be cool, trying to find that last little inner bit of this is going to be okay. Go to my inner voice. I'm listening to Andy from Headspace Mm. meditation (laughs) in my head. (laughs) You know, welcome to Headspace on sleep. I could smell the smells of meat being grilled as well. And which it's an outdoor area. But then I could kind of see as I'm sort of being led through the crowd by my surrogate Sherpa, who I supposedly I can trust. I started to see people kind of moving to let somebody through the little crowd. And then I saw her, but her face was very blank. She wasn't giving me like, oh, hey, there's there you are, my my foreign friend. It was none of that. Here's what I saw. The feast has arrived. Oh, no. (laughs) You're the main course. She comes up to me and that's when she asked me if I'd eaten and... I say no, and I got a little hysterical. (laughs) My supposed cool went right out the window. Ran out. Now, I wasn't like shrieking and throwing a hissy fit. I was talking to her in English and saying like, basically, you left me for hours, hours, no money. What happened? What's going on? You said you'd be right back. It's six hours later. What the fuck happened? Welcome to your belief. <laughs> but this is all like coming out in just a torrent. I was kind of like medium energy with it, but it was clearly coming from a deep well of a guy just trying not to collapse in front of these people. <laughs> so I'm basically having a, a public freak out, which they can understand even if they don't know any English. The biggest of the tough guys looks at me again and she's right beside me there and she's looking at me kind of blank. And I said to her, what is all this? What are you doing? You know? And she sort of gets enough of it. She's like, these are my friends. I was like, but yeah, but what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing here? Am I the main dish at my dinner? <laughs> am I a delicacy here? I was super fat at the time. I, am I a delicacy? You know, they like the fatty meat. I, I'm, I'd be a prized commodity. People are like starting to laugh at me, chuckle at me, you know, because I'm kind of making a scene at this point. And this guy who had been so threatening and intimidating, gives me one last poke in the chest and bursts out into like, ah, <laughs> he bursts out into the biggest laugh, like the jokes on you. Oh, we had oh, you scared. I mean, God. again, I don't know what he's saying. They're roaring with laughter. Like, oh, we had you there. And that's when I fainted and knocked her over on my way down <laughs> into oh, her no. friend who was the driver that picked me up. And so my dusty, sad ass is laying in the desert in Mongolia, Mongolia. And I'm laying there and start crying a little, but it's kind of tears of joy. (laughs) Trying to laugh, realizing, 
oh, okay, this is their version of Ruh now. This is their loud, but they know who I was. They know that I'm Gana's weird American friend of this. I mean, she's got another weird American tomorrow, and she's like kind of the person that all our circle of people uses as a, as a Sherpa. She starts smiling and laughing and kind of comes behind me, kind of pats me on the back. She's like, it's okay. And I'm like, it's not okay. Never do that to me again. I was scared to death. <laughs> And she's like, you want the food? I said, no, I, I need to go. I need to go. She said, okay. Take me home for the love. The big tough guy, he was the first guy down to stick his hand out and pull me up. Aww. And when he pulled me up, dude gave me a hug. Oh. It was like, oh, we're just having fun with you. And she told me later, this is like her cousin. He thought oh it'd be funny God. to like play tough guy and mess with oh, the corner. Crazy. And they want to know who's cool. There's a whole phenomenon. I'm not talking about China. I'm talking just like in general of when people are sometimes dating who are not very mature, where somebody will have what they call a sh- test. Is it, honey, will you do this? Uh, okay. People will put someone else through a lot of challenges to kind of see, will you take my sh- uh-huh. will, you, will you step yeah. up? Yeah. Will you show up? It was a friendly, boisterous, <laughs> Mongolian version of a sh- test. For like new God. new foreign friends. You know, I'm like, no, I don't want to go. He's like, well, can I finish eating? I'm like, okay. Again, my realization that it was okay was happening in slow motion. I had hours of I got cast in Eli Roth film without my knowledge. That's my reality. You're like, it's going to take me a minute to get over this. Hang yeah, on. I sit down. And somebody hands me a beer. Somebody else hands me a plate full of lamb skewers. Which were delicious, of course, because they almost yeah. always are. And you were starving. And terrified. And I kind of felt like, well, is this the last meal? I still was not quite sure I was out of the woods. Is the third act of this story going to be that, hey, we're kidding. Okay, back on your heads, you know. As it turned out, those people ended up sitting around, having a drink or a beer, we're eating food. And it turned out to be like this incredibly terrifying and intense near-death experience. It was as scary as someone having a weapon on you because I thought I was going to be like, you know, tortures. I mean, not really, but all the evidence indicates I've seen this movie, you know, 10 men who basically are lethal weapons, right? Their bodies are lethal weapons and you are alone and unarmed. Yeah. Oh, she was one of the smaller people there. She could have kicked my butt, you know, (laughs) it's a scrappy crew. It was. And so it ended up, being okay and there were all these kind of cultural lessons and it turned out her phone that she could communicate more easily with me had died and her cable for that phone was broken just all the wrong things happened to where she couldn't easily get me so she used another phone she didn't have my contact in it so she couldn't pull it up couldn't remember it she sent her friend to collect me and she was like, why didn't you go with him before? Well, like, why didn't you come for me yourself? <laughs> I was mad as hell. Later, we're back on the China side, and she's taking me to drop me back at my hotel where I was going to go back in. They did a thing where you could keep the hotel through the afternoon because you check in around 1.32 a.m. And then the flight out from that side was, I think, 1.30 in the morning. It's the same plane back and forth. So I went back to the hotel and showered up. So as she was getting ready to drop me, you know, she essentially was saying, I'm sorry that you didn't understand. I sent my friend. I thought that you would understand to come. That was that was basically it, you know, all kinds of cultural lessons. And I'm somebody who preaches on and rattles on about developing empathy and how important that is. And my mission has always been to not be, I mean, I'm a proud American, but I don't want to be an ugly American. Sure. When I travel, especially, I mean, I feel like I did my best, but man, it's terrifying. 
terrifying. So that's the story of how I had a near-death experience oh. <laughs> in a Mongolian border town. Oh, holy yeah. cow. Yeah. Was that the last time that you did the run that way? The next time I didn't call her like I were I had somebody else be my Sherpa. There had been a time or two before where she wasn't available. So I, you know, I had some other resources. And just got on like more of like a tour bus. Most of the foreigners would get on like a charter bus and they would pay okay. five times what I was paying to do the same uh, thing. Okay. But minus okay. the excitement, minus the near-death experience. <laughs> it was really something else. So the very last time I made the trip, I did work with her again because she had reached out to me on WeChat and basically said, are you going to make any other trips? Let me know. You know, because she knew I'd been back from my WeChat because I'd post, you know, photos and, you know, you're, you're connected to everybody. You see everybody's business. Yeah. So she had oh, okay. seen me post before and was like, you didn't. Did he didn't, fire you, me? Yeah, basically. <laughs> did you fire me? And I just said, honestly, that last experience really was uncalled for. Negated all the benefit of using you over the expensive tool. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry that I made a fool out of myself and I'm glad your friends had a laugh at my expense and they ended up being lovely as it turned out is, is what I want to say to, you know, again, not be an ugly American. That was just their version of having fun and whooping it up a bit. Yeah, it's just a misinterpretation of the scene. Totally. Both sides misinterpreted the situation. Totally. Surely they didn't think they were torturing you quite as much as they were or, they, or it wouldn't have been fun. Exactly. And again, in my business, I've, I'm, I'm pretty good at reading a room normally. If it's a room that I have the skill set for, <laughs> stick me in a Hollywood meeting or stick me in a China business meeting. Name yeah. the scenario. You have to have cultural knowledge and understand the language. Totally. Those are like two ingredients to being able to read the room. Even for somebody who's very empathic and intuitive, if you don't have cultural knowledge and you don't speak the language, you're not going to be able to read the room. Interesting. Totally. I never really thought about that. Huh. So wrapping it all up, you know, I made the last trip. We reconnected in a really friendly way. Last time when she dropped me to the hotel, I said, I don't want to be back, but it was so great to get to know you. And, you know, whenever I find myself near this area, I'll say hi. Yeah. So it ended well with her. It did. I'm so glad you survived that. <laughs> you and me both, my friend. Tell me about your new movie and your music-focused Instagram videos and where the listeners can find you. My two most active film projects, I have this movie called My Favorite Season with my friend and one of my business partners, Larry Sullivan, for his company. And it's set in the world of Paris fashion. As people are listening to this, I am hopefully beginning to think about packing my bag to go to France to prep the film next spring and summer and then shoot next fall. So quarter three, 21 is when it should be shooting in France. And in the meanwhile, I've got a low budget horror comedy, way more comedy than horror with my friend Noah Segan, who's a very talented writer and director as well as, as an actor for a long time. And so we have this project called Blood Relatives. It's a father-daughter road trip vampire picture. But we're planning to do this small film safely in and around LA during the first quarter of 21. And once that film is shot, then my day-to-day -day obligations are done. And then I could basically get on a plane. In terms of the music thing, I'm partners with Larry and International Troublemakers, which is a to do these bigger, shinier, like movie theater movies, you know, theatrical movies meant for a really big international audience. And some of my own development fits that category, but most of it is more like genre pictures, like some weird art films I want to make. So I came up with my own label. 
So basically Brendan's uh, cool, weird indie projects go under this label, Skinny Wizard. Move as easily and delicately and gently as you can, but with clear direction and make your own magic. So my musical efforts are going out under this project that is Me Plus Friends. So people can find me on Instagram. It's my name with my middle initial thrown in, which is K for key. So it's Brendan K Davis. Uh, you can put the spelling in the show notes, B-R-E-N-D-A-N-K-D-A-V-I-S on Instagram. And then I'm also on Twitter. I have kind of a funny handle, uh, Veritas in Lux, which is basically truth and light in Latin. Nice. Yeah. So get at me, get at your boy. All right. You have been so much fun, Brendan. Thank you so, so much for spending time with me today and showing us that people are not as fancy as they look. Well, Joanne, yeah, I'm definitely not as fancy (laughs) as I seem sometimes on the internet. Thank you for such a great show. I can't wait to hear it. Thank you so much for listening to the Fancy Free Podcast this week. Make sure to check out the show notes for today's episode at fancyfreepodcast.com for all the links we discuss in the episode. We have some really fun, not really bonus episodes, but just episodes that I'm going to squeeze in on a Wednesday or a Thursday in the next couple of weeks. So don't miss those. Click the subscribe button so that all the new episodes pop into your feed each week. If you have a story to tell, email me at notfancy at fancyfreepodcast.com. And I would love it if you would follow the Fancy Free Podcast on Instagram and also Shelfie Shop Cozy Clothes on Instagram. I have opened my women's loungewear shop online. It has had an amazing response. We are almost sold out of certain styles and colors, and we will be receiving a restock batch in about six to eight weeks. But every item does have a email me when this item is back in stock button. So go over to shelfieshop.com. That's S-H-E-L-F-I-E-S-H-O-P-P-E.com. And let me know which items that you want. If they're in stock, snatch them up. And if they're not in stock, click the button so that you can be notified as soon as we receive more. And if you want more connection, laughter, and sharing, join us in the Fancy Free Facebook group. It is our own little private slice of the internet. We have so much fun over there. Have a wonderful week. And remember, no one is as fancy as they look.